Coming to you from the Spirit Lounge, I'm your host, Lily. With me is my co-host, Vanessa. And this is the Haunted Happy Hour Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of our October series, The Supernatural, Occult, and Mysteries. In today's episode, we'll be talking about curses and voodoo. And just like in our past episodes, I want to remind you guys, make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram so that you can check out previews of our featured drink slash topic teasers for the coming episodes. We did have someone reach out on the last topic teaser we shared for our Poltergeist episode. They totally guessed the topic theme right out of the gate with just the picture. So that was pretty cool that they got it. So of course, if you don't already follow us, go check us out. For today's featured drink, we're having the Hex Cocktail. To make this one, just mix some vanilla liqueur, vodka and grape juice in a cocktail shaker with some ice. Pour it all into a glass with a little bit of ice and then just garnish it with some grapes. All right, let's go ahead and try this let's one. Let's do this. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, that's... I feel like I say this all the time, but <laughs> this one, this is good. This is good. Um, I feel like it's really good for like fall. Mm-hmm. I can feel mm-hmm. like the fally vibes, you I know, agree. with this one. I feel almost kind of like this is going to be weird, but I feel like this is going to be like a Thanksgiving type drink. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think that's weird at all. I also saw that there's several variations on this drink. You can put different fruits in there just Mm -hmm. according to whatever you like. It doesn't have to be grapes. Right. Also, I did notice that there was one that was frozen. So you can make it frozen. Not sure how. Oh. But um, yeah, I noticed that one too. So that would be a really good one. Like almost kind of like a slushy. Yeah. Oh, that sounds Mm -hmm. really good. So that would be fun for the summer. Well, it's like grape. So this is like grape juice. I wonder Mm -hmm. if you could use like that uh, frozen grape (gasps) stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Like the one, the frozen yeah. that comes in the can or yeah. something in the frozen aisle. Yeah. I wonder if that might be a little bit too much, though. Might be, I don't but know. According, I don't know. Like, depending on how far out you want to right. do this, though. Seriously. But this is actually really good. I really like it. And it's easy. Yeah. It's super easy. Yeah. I like it. So, I mean, and I'm generally not a big fan of, of grape juice, yeah. grapes in general. Uh-huh. But I think the, the liqueur and the, what is it, the vodka, mm-hmm. I think that really, that brings it out a little bit. Right. I think this one is great for like October because it's dark. I I wonder if you could change the grape juice variation. Like, you know how they have the white drink, like the white grape juice, maybe for summer or something. Or even like, um, I know when you were getting the ingredients for this one, you sent me a picture of a pomegranate one, Uh huh. a pomegranate juice. That might be good here too. That would be good too. So I think just really according to your taste, right? I think you could just vary the drink here and there yeah this is a this is a good one i think i like it because number one it's easy it's Mm -hmm. super easy to make Mm -hmm. i feel like you already have these ingredients for the most part and then i like it because yeah it is really fall like Mm -hmm. super Mm -hmm. yum and also too like you don't even have to have uh alcohol in these these could be mocktails Mm -hmm. even for those of you out there that you know like the mocktail variation right I agree. I think I would give this, mm, what, three and a half out of five? Sounds good. Yum. Yum. All right. So now that we're all set with our drinks, let's talk about some voodoo and curses. So Vanessa, what's our first story? Okay. What do the Big Easy, St. Anne Street, voodoo ceremonies, power rituals, and fear have in common? 
They are all referring to the voodoo queen of the French Quarter, Marie Laveau. Laveau was very influential and had the ability to unearth people's darkest secrets. She built a strong reputation that no one dared to try to undermine. Marie Laveau is believed to have been born in the French Quarter of New Orleans on September 10, 1794, the illegitimate daughter of wealthy Creole plantation owner Charles Laveau and his mistress, Marguerite d'Arcantrell. Marie grew up on her father's plantation where she was educated and studied to be a hairdresser. On August 4, 1819, Marie Laveau married carpenter Jacques Paris, a free person of color from Haiti. They went to live in the French Quarter of New Orleans. Their marriage certificate is preserved in St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans. Paris went missing and was presumed dead in 1824. Marie insisted that he had died and that she was a widow. The widow Paris was a regular with the practice of voodoo and herbal remedies. For several decades, this voodoo queen had New Orleans spellbound. She staged ceremonies in which participants became possessed by loas or voodoo spirits. She dispensed charms and potions, even saving several condemned men from the gallows, told fortunes, and healed the sick. Marie learned her craft from a voodoo doctor, known as Dr. John or John Bayou, and by 1830, she was one of several voodoo queens. Laveau combined voodoo beliefs and Catholic traditions, holy water, incense, statues of saints, and Christian prayers, which helped make voodoo and hoodoo, the magical rituals associated with voodoo, more acceptable to upper-class New Orleans society. Her beliefs included the recognition of spiritual forces, which can be kind or mischievous, that preside over daily life and intercede in the lives of their followers. Connection with these spirits can be achieved through dance, music, singing, and the use of snakes. People from all over came to seek her assistance for advice, healing, or placing curses on their foes. If a politician needed blackmail material on their opponent, then there was a really good chance Marie had the skeleton in the closet they were after. She could find the smoking gun at the drop of a hat. Marie knew everyone's little secrets and was willing to help for a price. Once the news of Laveau's powers spread, she overthrew the other voodoo queens of New Orleans. She acted as an oracle or a person who predicted the future. She conducted private rituals behind her cottage on St. Anne Street in the French Quarter, performed exorcisms, and offered sacrifices to spirits. Oral traditions suggested that the occult part of her magic mixed Roman Catholic beliefs with African spirits and religious concepts. Although a local newspaper once referred to her as a notorious hag who reigns over the ignorant and superstitious as the queen of the voodoos, she was also feared for her power. 
there were numerous stories going around of what could happen if one offended her. Marie's reign of power in the Big Easy ended when she died in 1881. She had a heavily attended funeral from the lowliest servant to outstanding members of the social elite. Up until March 1st, 2015, Marie's grave was a dark tourism hotspot. Tourists would visit the grave, draw an X mark with chalk on the tomb, yell out a wish, turn around three times, and kick on the granite walls. This was allowed until her gravesite was vandalized and the Archdiocese of New Orleans had no choice but to restrict access to Marie's tomb. Now, if you want to visit, you have to book a tour. The spirit of Marie Laveau continues to go about her business in New Orleans. Her detailed apparition has been seen walking down St. Anne Street wearing a long white dress. She has been seen praying in St. Louis Cathedral. Perhaps she has unfinished business. Marie's home on St. Anne Street, which is now a vacation rental, has seen its share of odd occurrences. There are countless guests with their own personal experiences to share. Tourists have been awakened by drums and voodoo chants coming from the rooms in the house. One couple found a single feather on the floor after a night of drums and chanting. Another guest awoke one morning in one of the bedrooms and became very frightened when something unseen was holding her down on the bed. Shadow figures have been seen in bedrooms and various rooms in the house. The owners of the property won't let paranormal investigators in to check it out because they know who is there. They don't want to vex a voodoo queen in spirit form. Marie was a powerful figure in New Orleans' past. Perhaps she still has business to do, or perhaps she does not want people to forget her. Whatever the reason is, Marie's influential narrative still lives on. So, Lily, what are your thoughts on this one? This was a pretty cool story, I think. I mean, I knew a little bit about Marie Laveau. I mean, I knew that she was a voodoo priestess, you know, down there, New Orleans, big deal. But I didn't really know any of her backstory. So I thought this one was was a pretty informative one for me, kind of a, a, a fun a fun story. Mm-hmm. I did think it was weird, though, when you started talking about, you know, towards the end of it, about visiting her, uh, her burial site, her tomb. Yeah. And about how now you need to book a tour mm-hmm. to even go see it. Yeah. I know. It's kind of crazy. Because um, in the research also... They actually have uh, the cemetery and it's actually, they call it the city of the dead because um, what they had to do in the past, because of the soil is so swampy there, it's not like your typical soil that can actually, you know, just hold, you know, solid. Right. And so every time it rained, it just got super swampy. So everything started sliding about oh my gosh i know and so basically the graves were just getting flooded and everything was just um above ground so the tombs were above ground i had Mm -hmm. seen something about that Mm -hmm. yeah about the reasoning why they 
they bury them there the way they do yeah. so it's actually like little houses they call them like they're like stone houses and so that's why they call it that city so basically now um her area is kind of private so that way people just stop going and just that's kind of cool though. they were vandalizing but yeah uh there's a cool picture like if you were ever interested in looking it's kind of like a little just it does really look like a little mini city oh wow with these little buildings and so some are newer than others but it's kind of cool the way that it's it's located and there's a lot of plants throughout it but it does look a little rundown i think that'd be kind of cool though to even book a tour i mean i don't know what else they show you on the tour i would imagine it's stuff kind of along the same lines i think also because she her house you can actually tour it as well um, there is a uh, Marie's House of Voodoo Museum slash store. Oh, wow. Um, That's yeah, cool. and so you can tour it and things. So I think it's kind of part of that. So yeah, it'd be interesting. I think that's crazy that her house. Yeah, you can tour it, but the fact that it's also a vacation rental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one thing that really stuck out to me and that I I don't think I like is the fact that they don't let paranormal investigators in there because as you were reading it Mm -hmm. that was my first question yeah like oh have they confirmed that it is in fact marie right clearly not yep and that's why i added that in because that was kind of a uh an interesting piece i wonder why though i wonder why they don't let anybody in there i mean to me i I mean i don't know if it's the skeptical part of me just wonders if it's just random activity and it's not specifically tied to her but they just like the fact that they could say since they don't know for sure that it is tied to her i think also another part is the fact that they're afraid so they don't want to them i think that they don't want to disturb what they know is there right so i think that's another thing i think they want to keep it private but because if you through my research i noticed that there wasn't really anything advertising like the tour, unless you're actually reading the through it. Oh. Yeah. So um, you wouldn't know it. Like I said, just through my research, I just happened to stumble upon it. So there really isn't anything advertising. Like the fact that they do a tour of her house? Right. Hmm, interesting. So I think they're, I don't know, it's kind of private, I feel like. So. I mean, that could be another reason. Right. But still, though, I mean, it'd be, to me, it would be even cooler to have investigators there and actually confirm it. Right. Even if you're not doing multiple, like if you just want to do like one and mm-hmm. have one come by and maybe try to get some answers. Right. I mean, to me, always, the whole thing is always to try to get some answers and to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I mean, I guess you could be right. Maybe they just don't want to stir the pot. Right. I know that they, the house itself or the vacation home, they don't really advertise it as such, like as a tour, but... um. There is a specific area that you can tour, which is her cemetery area, the House of Voodoo, like I mentioned. Also, Congo Square, I think, is where they take you in the tour. So she did a lot of her practicing in this area, Congo Square. Oh, that's cool. So that's where she did a lot of her, you know, enchanting, her potions, her whatever she did Mm -hmm. for her, uh, the people that would come to seek her out. Another area that she did practice at was uh, the Mongolia Bridge, and that's Bayou St. John. So I'm wondering if that's where they also take you on specific tours. Hmm. 
I mean, regardless, it seems like it's it'd be a cool tour no matter what. Oh, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I, I would love to do that. I know. I've always wanted to go to New Orleans mm-hmm. and do all of these different, you know, supernatural right. type of tours because... I mean, I feel like there's so much going on down there that's mm-hmm. happened there that's, you know, still still occurring. So that would be a really fun one. If anything, do it for the history. Right. You know, and agreed. The knowledge of it. Yeah. I loved it, though. Yeah. Great. This was a cool one. Good. OK. And so before we head into our next story, I wanted to give a shout out to Brutal Bazaar and Boozy. They were actually really cool and sent us a message the other day. They said, Really enjoying your podcast. Great storytelling. Awesome job. I followed your podcast and gave you a five-star rating. So naturally, I loved the name of this handle. So I ended up clicking on their on their profile. And come to find out, they are actually a podcast themselves. And of course, me, I love podcasts. And I'm always looking for a new podcast to just listen to. And this one is hosted by a mom and son duo. They talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and my favorite, boozy cocktails. So it's a really awesome podcast. You know, I went to go check out episode one. Before I knew it, I was already on episode four. Didn't want to stop. So go check them out. Brutal, bizarre, boozy. They're on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find them on any platform where you listen to your podcasts. And when we come back, I'll have our next story about curses. It's a pretty intense one. That's up next. And we're back now with Lily talking more about curses. So let's hear our next story, Lily. All right, this is going to be a good one. In November of 2011, a mother of three named Latoya Ammons moved her family including her mother, Rosa Campbell, into a small rental home located at 3860 Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. Less than a month after moving in, the family began encountering strange events. One day, in the home's enclosed front porch, Latoya and her mother started noticing black flies gathering. Swatting at them and killing them seemed to do nothing. They would both later report that the more they killed, they felt the more appeared. Before they knew it, swarms were covering the walls and windows of the porch. Day after day, the same thing would happen. The even odder thing about this, though, was that it was the dead of winter. Following this, the activity in the home began to ramp up. One night, well after midnight, Latoya and her mother Rosa were in bed asleep, when suddenly they heard the steady stomps of footsteps climbing the basement stairs, and then the slow creaking of the basement door opening completely into the kitchen. Terrified that someone had broken into the house, the two waited frozen in their bedroom afraid to make a sound or even move. After letting some time pass and gathering up some courage, Latoya turned on the lights, opened the bedroom door, and went to investigate the kitchen and the basement. To her surprise, no one was there. 
but she couldn't believe it. How could no one be there? They both heard the footsteps, plain as day, and the basement door was open. But still, her thorough inspection found no trace of an intruder. This soon became a recurring event. Even after LaToya's thorough inspections and putting a lock on the door, night after night, the noises continued. Now with the basement door locked, the sounds appeared to worsen, with a pounding on the door that sometimes led to what sounded like an animal growling. And still, without fail, Anytime either one would check the basement, no one would be there. One night, Rosa felt a strange presence wake her out of a dead sleep. She got out of bed to peek outside the door and was taken aback by the sight of a black, shadowy figure pacing back and forth in the living room. Alarmed and frightened, she assumed they obviously had an intruder in the home. Not knowing what to do, Rosa quietly crept back into the bed and just laid there, paralyzed with fear, until morning. At the first glimpse of sunlight, she left her room to investigate. She found all the doors and windows still locked from the inside, and nothing at all seemed to be missing. There was no intruder in the house. But on her walk back into the living room, she noticed the spot on the floor. Closer examination revealed that it looked like a pair of large, wet footprints right in the middle of the living room floor. After this encounter, on several more occasions, Rosa would see, just out of a peripheral vision, a shadowy male figure lurking around the house. Eventually, she began seeing the shadow figure right out in the open. For months... Not wanting to believe that anything was really wrong, the family tried to live with the activity in the home. But in March of 2012, the events would prove too much for the family to handle. Late one night, the Ammons were hosting friends and family at their home. There had just been a death in the family, and so those close to them were at the house mourning the loss of their loved one. That evening, the activity began to escalate in the home. At one point, LaToya's daughter complained of feeling like she was suddenly pulled off the couch by something, some unseen force. A short while later, one of her sons was flung across the room, hitting a freezer. Witnesses couldn't quite be sure what they had just seen and heard. Was it the trickery of children at play? or something more malicious. Once the children had all gone to bed, the adults remained in the living room, just sharing conversations. Around 2 a.m., a piercing cry rang out from the room of LaToya's daughter. Rosa, LaToya, and some of the others ran to see what the scream was about. When LaToya got into the room, she switched on the light. And right at that moment, she saw the body of her daughter drop to the bed. According to the cousin that was sharing the room with her that night, she said that the girl had been levitating, still asleep, several feet off the bed. 
After the events of this day, anyone that was there that night, having witnessed the activity, refused to set foot back inside that house. It was also at this point that Latoya and Rosa could no longer deny the malicious intent of whatever was in that house. They knew they had to get help. Reaching out to several local religious groups, the two eventually found a local Catholic church whose priest agreed to visit the house. Afterwards, he told them that it was his belief that the house was indeed haunted by spirits. He recommended that Latoya and Rosa perform a thorough cleaning of the entire house with bleach and ammonia, also suggesting that they inscribe symbols of crosses on all the doors and windows. Following the cleansing of the home, the Ammons children still continued to live with the horrible events, soon escalating to bouts of intense physical rage, unexplainable voice changes, hypnotic trances with chanting, and having dark conversations about death with unseen entities, which the family doctor wrote off as simply delusions. Still seeking answers, Latoya contacted two clairvoyants to visit the home. They ultimately claimed that the house was home to 200 demons and that the energy was emanating from the basement. They told LaToya that the children must be removed from the house immediately. With the children hearing disembodied voices and being physically attacked, and feeling like they had exhausted all spiritual remedies, LaToya turned to their family physician in the hopes that maybe doctors could find a practical explanation. While in the doctor's office, according to the testimony of medical staff, the two young boys began experiencing what LaToya referred to as possession. They cursed the doctor in low growling voices. Then, the youngest Ammons boy was said to be lifted and thrown against the office wall. Then, just as suddenly as it started, both boys fainted. The staff called 911 and the boys were taken to a local hospital. When the boys awoke, the nine-year-old seemed fine, but the younger boy reportedly had to be held down by five men. At some point during this whole ordeal, someone called Child Protective Services. A caseworker arrived with a hospital psychiatrist, and after an examination, both found the boys to be healthy and stable. While caseworker Valerie Washington was interviewing the boys, she stated in her report that, quote, the seven-year-old began growling and told his brother, it's time to die. He then glided backward on the floor, up the wall, and ceiling. After seeing this, Valerie, the nurse, and others ran out of the room. Valerie cited that the children were experiencing spiritual and emotional distress, and so CPS removed the children from LaToya's care. On the morning of April 20th, 2012, the hospital chaplain contacted Father Michael Maginot. On April 22nd, 
Father Maginot visited Latoya and Rosa at their home. After an in-depth four-hour interview, Maginot said he was convinced the family was being tormented by demons. He also believed that there were other ghosts in the house. A week after Father Maginot's visit, Latoya and Rosa met the CPS caseworker at the home, along with some officers to check the condition of the home for the possible return of the children. One of the officers present that day went on record saying that he came to believe in demons after visiting that house. In the basement, officers noticed a patch of dirt under the stairs. Latoya told them that she felt and believed that this area is where the demons were coming from. On May 10th, 2012, Father Maginot and others returned to the home to investigate the dirt floor under the stairs. In an interview with the National Catholic Register, Father Maginot had been asked whether he believed Latoya's boyfriend had anything to do with the incidents at the house. He responded, quote, Maybe he put a curse on the mother. He had once asked her for an article of underwear as a souvenir. Personal items are often used in curses against a person. Latoya received an angry phone call from a woman who said she was the boyfriend's wife. Latoya said she never knew he was married and was going to break up with him anyway. The lady warned her that she was going to be very sorry that she had ever had anything to do with him. Police began sifting and digging through the dirt. Removing two feet of dirt, they unearthed what seemed like random items, a press-on fingernail, women's underwear, children's socks, and a comb were among the items. Father Maginot gave the instruction to bury them all again, and he sprinkled the area with blessed salt. A few weeks later, Father Maginot arranged to perform a series of powerful blessings on the house and then to perform a minor exorcism on Latoya. Eventually, the Catholic Church gave Father Maginot the permission to perform a full exorcism. A total of three exorcisms were performed on Latoya. This would be the end of Latoya's possession. In the fall of 2012, Latoya regained custody of her children and moved with them to a new home in Indianapolis. Few are aware that the church actually believes in the reality of curses. Father Maginot remembers, we felt there must be some sort of curse because there were many things that were strange. I knew these things had something to do with Latoya's ex-boyfriend. The first time he moved in and asked her for the pair of underwear, he convinced her to do so by saying it was to remember a wonderful moment. Then, around the same time, Latoya wanted to have a family picture in the living room. And while looking through the stack of pictures she had, she noticed the one she was looking for as well as some photos of the kids, were missing. She never did find where those pictures went. 
The home at 3860 Carolina Street has since been demolished, albeit much to the dismay of some claiming that a portal still remained open in the location. Ammons herself had a warning for paranormal skeptics saying, when you hear something like this, don't assume it's not real because I've lived it. I know it's real. All right, so that was our last story. A pretty intense one, I think. I mean, I do think I lean more towards actually believing the events that happened and believing that the house did have spirits and demons. Um, I don't know, Vanessa, what'd you think? I totally agree with that. I also want to say that this reminds me of our story from the last episode from the New York house. I think they would have benefited oh, yeah. from the Ghostbuster ruling. <laughs> Someone should have told them ahead of time. But- I know. I agree. The The thing that really struck me. So first of all, I I don't know about you, but I had heard about this, um, this story, this house uh, a couple of years ago when I believe it was uh, that Demon House documentary came out. And so it really kind of piqued my interest, honestly. And so when I had the opportunity to kind of do this story, you know, I completely jumped on it. So I, though, had only thought that the house was, you know, just filled with like demons and spirits. I had never heard that it was actually possibly having to do with a curse. Mm -hmm. So that kind of really just intrigued me. I know it. I don't know. Like, I mean, the fact that the whole because, you know, I've I watched the documentary again Mm -hmm. while I was doing the the story. And when the officer was kind of doing the walkthrough of the basement and they get to the, the dirt patch under the stairs there and they talk about how when they first discovered it, it looked almost kind of like a ritualistic type of, I don't know, like just display of some sort, because then, you know, once they did start digging um, you know, it was they did find the the pink press on fingernail, uh, the pair of women's underwear, a comb, two children's socks, which I did see somewhere else in my research that it noted that they were cut in some way. So, I mean, that could be something different. Uh, a red tin and a heavy bar. That's that's all random stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is kind of safe to assume like the the priest in the story mentioned that like personal items mm-hmm. are used for, you know, curses. They right. can they can be used for that. Right. And when you mentioned about the personal items, that's when I had the uh moment. It like it was like a twist for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't I really did not expect that because right. initially I was actually thinking possible portal maybe um in the basement or something like that of right. that nature. So when you mentioned all that other stuff, I'm like, oh, okay, makes more sense. Yeah, it was it was definitely crazy like that, that piece of it. And just kind of I mean, we're talking about the curse part of it, you know, just the the house in general. But when talking about kind of the documentary, I mean, this is kind of just like a little minor piece of it. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning of that documentary, there is a warning have you seen have no, you seen the documentary? I, I actually have not. Okay. So it's on Netflix. Anybody or is it Netflix? Discovery Plus. Discovery okay. Plus. Okay. Um, but the warning says the following documentary may not be suitable for all audiences. 
This film shows real people, places, and events involving alleged demonic possession. Demonologists believe that demons can attach themselves to you through other people, objects, and electronic devices. View at your own risk. Oh, wow. So it's pretty much saying that <laughs> there, is a, yeah. there is a possibility that something could attach itself to you through mm-hmm. watching it. Yeah. Um, there was a note a little bit later on that, say, that says pretty much this film is cursed. Hmm. So I don't know. I mean, that's another one of those things that is it just to kind of get you to watch it, just to kind of like, oh, yeah. Ooh, I really right. want to watch it now. Good point. Yeah. So I don't know, but I just kind of thought that was that was a little bit interesting. Right. But another piece of it, though, I think it's weird because I do believe the events that occurred in this house. But when, what was it? When the Ammons moved out and then the house was purchased by somebody else Mm -hmm. and they did the inspection, they did get it obviously tested by professionals and they found the house to have black mold in the attic more than likely carbon monoxide leaking out of the furnace or the water heater exhaust, then mm. all, all of that like floating around, that is known to kind of give some kind of a psychological effect to people, you know, inside that house. It can definitely make people feel dizzy and euphoric. So that could possibly, you know, be perceived as paranormal well what about their guests when they were hosting you know I'm, those people just came in and out quickly right so right that, that was the other thing too because before you mentioned you know the curse i thought if there were i don't know demons or something i wouldn't be brave enough to host anybody at that right. house <laughs> but yeah, yeah so that's my question and also too the fact that the kids went to the doctor they went to the doctor and they had like a demonic possession of sorts. Right. So they weren't even in the house anymore at that point. Exactly. Yeah. That struck me too, because then at that point, that's when other people said that that's when it's more viewed as a curse because it's the person themselves. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not where you are. Mm -hmm. It's, it's you being cursed. Right. And that makes more sense. So, I mean, with the, the three exorcisms then that, Uh, Latoya had you know that makes sense that once the three happened and she was feeling okay at that point and Mm -hmm. she moved into her new house everything was okay do you know anything further after that like after they moved um not really I do I did find though interestingly that there's actually gonna be a um let me pull it up here so I can actually read it there's gonna be a film based Mm on the house oh wow so i'm reading this from the indie star and the Mm -hmm. indie star is actually a good a good resource if you guys want to look up some more information on this house and kind of like the events because they're actually the ones that broke the the news on the house um but anyways so it says here that netflix acquired the film's rights at a january auction um and it looks like this story came out in july so just this past july um, and so it's going to be based, obviously, on the experiences of the Ammons and the name. So the name is going to be The Deliverance. 
Huh. Yeah. So an interesting one. I think they've already, I think they have some cast. Some of the cast already picked out. But what I thought was weird is that the, who is it here? So the main person, so obviously the main person in the story is Latoya Ammons, but they're changing the names of the Ammons family to the Jacksons. So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why, but. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. I think for sure I'm going to watch it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it doesn't have a release date, it looks like, as of yet. But, I mean, if you're interested, Glenn Close, Monique. Really? Yeah, they're going to be in it. Omar Epps. Oh, wow. Yeah, so a couple of... They went all out for this one. Yeah, a couple of really well-known, yeah. well-known people. So we'll see what happens with that. But no, I don't know anything else about what happened. I'm assuming... All is good. I'm mm-hmm. hoping all is good. Right. Um, I know that in the documentary, they went to go track down the Ammons family to kind of talk to them about what happened. Um, but they wanted really no part to do with it. I guess they just didn't want any kind of attachment to happen again, which is understandable. So, I mean, at that point, they just had nothing to do with it. They're like, that's that happened in the past. We're kind of just moving on type thing. Well, then maybe that's that's a biggie, too, because if they were making it up, you would think that they would want attention. But the fact that they're trying to deflect all of that attention from themselves. Right. I agree. It's it's all a crazy one, I think. And with the the documentary ending with the house being demolished, you know, a lot of people were saying that they they wished it wouldn't have been totaled like that or Mm -hmm. that at least. There could have been some kind of like a closing of the, I'm going to call it a portal, not really sure what it is, but the fact that it really wasn't kind of finished, you know what I mean? Right. I wondered about that as well. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, just by demolishing a house, Mm -hmm. you're not getting rid of anything. I mean, we've talked about that. Right. So a lot of people were kind of up in arms about that, which I totally get it. It's a crazy one for sure. A super interesting one. Can't wait for the movie to come out. So we'll see we'll see what happens with that. Definitely. What do you guys out there think? Do you think that Latoya was actually cursed or that the home was as some have said a portal to hell? Drop us a line and let us know your thoughts. So with that, until next time. Thanks for joining us for another happy hour in the Spirit Lounge. I'm Lily and I'm Vanessa and this was the Haunted Happy Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you have Echo devices, an easy way to listen is just say, Alexa, play Haunted Happy Hour podcast. Plus, follow us on Facebook and Instagram to check out our next episode teaser and drink feature. See if you can guess what our next topic will be. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.